direct from Cape Gun Works in Hyannis. You're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host, Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed... It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome, everybody, to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense, sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. I appreciate everybody who listens each and every week. We look forward to doing this show more than you know, and uh, we unfortunately haven't been doing it very consistently because of everything going on in uh, the state house where i have been spending much of my time uh it all started back in september we had a rally at the state house on a i think it was a tuesday actually so that just disrupted the 2a tuesday with the grace curly show um but anyway before i get into all that uh the please like and subscribe on all of our social media channels or all the social media that you consume we are at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio. Those are the two places where all of our content can be found, shared, liked, subscribed to, and commented on. So thank you for the faithful that do. Um, we're trying to grow the channel and trying to get this content out from beyond the uh, Iron Curtain here in Massachusetts. Um, so make sure you go to rapidfireradio.us as well. And you can scroll down and sign up to be alerted whenever we go live. So that's how you can stay in the know, if you will, um, on what's going on here. So uh, hopefully you'll follow us along, uh, follow along there. Um, but yeah, so it all started back in September. We had the 2A rally. Actually, it it was in August, if you really want to uh, go way back. And this bill was introduced in, <laughs> um, I keep overruling my earlier statement uh but it all started back in february <laughs> when the state decided to have a listening tour event with michael day's office and he uh is a representative from stoneham massachusetts he is the uh chairman of the house uh judiciary committee and he embarked on uh, according to the uh, to him and the Speaker of the House, what the Speaker asked him to do was um, 
embark on this listening tour event, which is going to be great because nothing's on the table and everything's on the table. So that was how it was pitched to us. And then they had 11 stops throughout the state of Massachusetts where their ears were uh, apparently plugged up tight, but they put the, they went through the motions. They had a dog and pony show of pretending to listen to the constituents of Massachusetts. And they basically went through the motions. They had panelists talk about the pros and cons of gun control and confiscation schemes and licensing schemes and gun bans and uh, all sorts of violations of your second amendment. I was, I think number seven in Greenfield mass. I was on that. I was a panelist on that stop. And then it continued and wrapped up after 11 stops. Like I mentioned, then a week or two later, we got this 144 page uh, omnibus gun bill that basically eviscerated your right to keep and bear arms in the state of Massachusetts. Now, let it be said for the record that the legislature does not possess this type of power to do this. There are constitutional limitations to their authority in the state house. They are not granted the authority to do anything about your constitutionally protected rights. Uh, that would encumber, that would, um, that would attach, that would put a lien on, that would put conditions on, that would uh, make it so that you could not freely exercise that right to keep and bear arms. However, we all know that the legislature is uh, a powerful body of people who don't care what the Constitution says because they will do whatever it is that they feel they're going to do because they are granted immunity from being sued for such violations of your constitutional rights, unlike every other branch of the federal government and state government, which can be sued for uh, a breach of your constitutional liberties by them and under the color of law. Now, there is language under... Uh, U.S. Code Title 18, Section 242, that would say that anyone who um, would seek to deprive you of your rights can be uh, sued accordingly. Um, the The bottom line is they they don't have uh, the constitutional authority to alter in any way, shape, or form your rights, your right to keep and bear arms. They would have have to do a constitutional amendment. Uh, which that procedure is a very labor-intensive uh, procedure, which by all rights, it should be. Um, now, they do this on the state level all the time. They amend the Constitution because they have the supermajority, um, the, the controlling party right now, and they can continue to you know do whatever they want. However, all that being said, they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this will not hold up to constitutional scrutiny. Um, we just had the uh, the New York Safe Safer Communities Act, or whatever the heck they call it, the uh, their attempt to uh, get the their laws in line with the Bruin decision, um, which basically doesn't, and it further violates. 
we already had the first decision in court overturn what the state has done um, based on their uh, discretionary licensing, which is the whole premise of the Bruin case was May issue licensing. So they said, okay, we can't do May issue anymore. What we're going to do instead is have good moral character as now the threshold of whether or not you get your license to carry. And that's all subjective to the licensing authority, which it's all the same thing. You're just rewording it. And a district court judge just threw that all out and said, no, this is exactly what Bruin dealt with. You're doing it again. And you're not going to have to wait till it goes to the Supreme Court because I'm throwing it out right now as he should have. So, so that uh, was the first kind of shoe to drop in this new era of gun control at the state level in response to Bruin. So there's all these Bruin response bills uh, and they're all temper tantrums by wannabe tyrants that uh, don't like it, like being told what they can and can't do in the legislature. They want to be told, uh, they, they want to tell you what you can and can't do they don't want it the other way around. So um, it's high time that legislatures around the country, including our U.S. Congress, um, be put on notice that, hey, if you continue to deprive your citizenry of and your constituency of their rights, their rights, their enumerated rights, then you will be sued. You will be held liable under uh, U.S. Code Title 18 uh, or 18 U.S. Code. Uh, section 242. That is a very, very serious, serious um, stat, uh, stat law, basically. Um, so I'm going to read it to you. U.S. Code uh, Title 18, Section 242 says, whoever, whoever under color of any state law, statute, or ordinance, regulation, or custom. So right there, under color of any law, state statute ordinance regulation or custom willfully subject subjects any person in any state territory commonwealth possession or district to the deprivation of any rights privileges or immunities secured or protected by the constitution or laws of the united states or to different punishments pains or penalties on account of such person being an alien or by reason of his color, race, uh, then are prescribed for the punishment of citizens shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than one year or both. And if bodily injury results from the acts committed in a violation of this section, or if such acts include the use, attempted use, or threatened use of dangerous weapon, explosives, or fire, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. And if death results, think about this, from the acts committed in violation of this section, or if such acts include kidnapping or attempted to kidnap aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to commit aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to kill, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for any term of years or for life or both, or may be sentenced to death. This is a very serious offense. So... Let's talk about that deprivation of rights under the color of law. This happened in a very big way. The Supreme Court took 
great notice of it under the Caetano uh, case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Caetano was a girl who had a, an abusive boyfriend and a friend of hers gave her a stun gun to protect herself, knowing full well that this beast of a man was going to come walking right through a restraining order, which he did. And she used this stun gun to defend herself. The police were called. Uh, when they showed up, they arrested her and said, you don't have a right to protect yourself via stun gun because they are illegal in Massachusetts. And that's how our state treats your Second Amendment right. Um so the Supreme Court took notice of it, and they said, uh, certainly stun guns are in common and ordinary use, which protects them under the Constitution, according to Heller. D.C. versus Heller was a case that said guns that are in common and ordinary use or that are bearable arms cannot be banned. And the people get to decide what it is that they want to use and buy and own, not the government. So fast forward, this went all the way to the Supreme Court. Justice Scalia sent a letter to the mass legislature and said, hey, guys, get this right. You've already deprived this girl her right under the color of law, and you need to change it. So what they do, they made a stun gun, a licensed uh, weapon under the license to carry scheme and said, you got to now possess a license to carry and you'll be able to own one in the state. That is so wrong on so many fronts because not only is her right still deprived because of the licensing scheme, what is justice delayed? It's justice denied. So now because you have a right to keep and bear arms, and if you're not a prohibited person, you should be able to have instant access to said bearable arms. And if I got to wait three months to go through the, all the hoops and ladders, uh, shoots and ladders, I should say, of obtaining the license in Massachusetts, then my I don't have a right. I have a permission granted to me by some sort of oversight committee or board or uh, panel that says you may or may not do this or that whenever we say you can and can't. That isn't how rights work. Rights are not something that is given or granted by man. They are given and granted by our creator, uh, as our founders so eloquently wrote in our Declaration of Independence. So, And because these rights are unalienable, you can't attach them, you can't put attachments to them, then uh, they must be, uh, you must be able to exercise that right whenever you want, however you want. And Massachusetts is in massive violation of this. And they have been for decades. They have been for maybe uh, almost 100 years. And so the bottom line is they have been getting away with this. And I promise you, there have been people where this has resulted in their death over the almost 100 years of licensing schemes. If you can't, if you have an imminent threat to your life, and bodily injury uh, or life, and you can't use that arm that you're constitutionally able to uh, keep and bear, then they are depriving you your right to keep and bear arms under the color of law. And they, frankly, should have the full weight of all um, 
law come down on them. They should be stripped of their job. They should be uh, stripped of their committees. They should be stripped and sent out of the uh, House or the Senate or wherever it is they do business and should never be able to hold public office again. Or if if somebody's life has, is if they've died as a result of this deprivation of rights, then it sounds to me like uh, they could be imprisoned for life or both and fined or maybe even sentenced to death. But there's there's smarter men than me uh, that could weigh in on this. And a lot of people don't want to don't want to uh, even think about that. Right. They don't want to say, oh, this is something that, uh, you know, I that sounds a little extreme. No, it doesn't, because we're talking about rights here. We're not talking about um we're not talking about, uh, you know, just a driver's license or um, some sort of minor inconvenience in your life. We're talking about life or death. And therefore, I think that's uh, why it's so, the language is so strict in this code. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to get into all the cases that have been coming up. Uh, it's been a win fest. Uh, in a post-Bruin era. So that's pretty cool. So uh, don't go away. We will be right back after some important messages from our sponsors. So take good notes. We'll be right back. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. All right, welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and I am co-owner of Cape Gunworks and proud Second Amendment advocate. So uh, I don't know if that's a fitting title for me, but I'm going to go with it uh, for today anyway. So uh, a lot of people have been thanking me for my advocacy work here in Massachusetts, but honestly, I don't feel like I'm doing anything that I haven't done my whole life and felt any, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing a particularly great job of it. All I'm doing is calling and trolling on social media and, you know, having a little bit of a call to action. I've made some public speaking appearances, but frankly, it's just because I own a gun store that makes it you know, gives me that, I guess, position or podium, if you will, um, to speak about it. But really, any gun owner can do what I do. Every gun owner should do what I do as far as uh, advocacy and write letters and make calls and, uh, you know, spread the word, put a sign out front, all that kind of stuff. That's that's all something anyone can do. There's nothing special about what I do. Um, so, I, I appreciate everybody saying thank you. But on the other hand, um, frankly, we need all 600,000 of us in Massachusetts speaking with one voice, uh, you know, in unison through the big bullhorn of social media and phones and emails and written word and letter. And uh, then they'll know that we are a force to be reckoned with. And there's no way that we should be 
uh, sitting on the sidelines at this time in our life, in this time in our you know moment in history, if you will. We should be engaged. We should be active. We should be uh, spreading the word. We should also, for those of us who know, we all know lots of people who don't kind of care about guns. They're, it's not their thing, right? I know lots of people that are good people. They're great family people. They're business owners. They're uh, coaches. They're, you know, fill in the blank of just good people in the community that don't really care. So it's not their issue. It's not their battlefield to die on. And think about this. When you're talking with them and they say, oh yeah, you're dealing with that gun bill, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that all about? Well, try your best to say, just imagine for a second, just for one second, if Congress was going to pass a law that said you needed to have an ID to vote, which hopefully they will. But guess what? It's not just your driver's license. They want to issue you a voting license that you have to go down to a approved entity, pay a hundred bucks for the privilege to vote, to, for the privilege of taking this class. And then they're going to tell you in this class, all the things you can and can't do on voting day, the things you can and can't say about your uh, the elected official that you want to vote for, support candidate. You'd have to go through maybe some campaign finance reform type of, you know, legalese so that you don't donate too much to a candidate that you really want to get in. And after a four hour lesson from this state approved instructor, you'd get a certificate. And that won't get you into the poll or get you your license to vote. You would have to go to uh, another place, the licensing authority. Uh, maybe it's the town clerk's office. And you'd have to go there and get fingerprinted, photographed. You'd have to pay another hundred bucks. Have your background checked on to make sure you're not a felon, to make sure you're not a bad person, to make sure you have good moral character. Because we don't want people who don't have good moral character voting in our elections. So you would have to uh, meet the definition of suitability. Like if you had some brush-ups with the law that don't quite rise to being a prohibited person, you're not quite a felon, but you have this like missed a felony where you might not be able to uh, meet the requirement of suitability, then you, know, you may or may not be allowed to vote. But uh, so... Compare it that way. And by the way, the, the phone number is 508-444-2120. If you want to be on the show, give us a call and uh, we'll go to the phones right now. You're on with Toby Leary. Go ahead. How are you today? All right, Toby. Don up in Stoughton here. Hey, Don in Stoughton. Good to see you, bud. How are you? Oh, just puzzled and bemused by what our legislators are doing. Mm -hmm. Just uh, two quick points, if I may. First off, Immunity is only granted to those who are acting constitutionally. And as you've read off Title 18, even if a legislator goes outside the pale of the Constitution, they become a criminal. The yeah. Constitution grants total. Outside it does not. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So, and I've asked, I've asked lawyers this question before, Don, like, can they be sued for uh, deprivation of rights? in uh in the under the color of law and they point me back to the constitution where it says that they can't be sued 
on in their official capacity because of uh you know somewhere along the line someone's going to be upset with a law that they create and they could sue them so they made it they made them kind of insulated from that but i agree with you if they're violating the laws that they have sworn an oath to uphold and protect how is it that they're untouchable it doesn't make sense i don't know if um why why yeah why have us why have them sworn oath of an office if it's meaningless then hmm. yeah good point <laughs> okay uh cool uh, yeah i know <laughs> i always have these questions yeah. now uh for yourself and for all persons who are concerned about the right to keep and bear arms do not contact your public servants and just say, look, I'm against law such and such and such and such. All right, you're just making a statement. What you want to do, Toby, is to put a question to them that they must respond to. All right, that puts them on the spot. Uh, dear sir, can you tell me where in the Constitution you are authorized to enact laws that infringe the rights or act upon lawful citizens possessing firearms? Can you tell me where that is, please? All mm. right. They have to answer. <clears throat> Second quick point. <clears throat> where, sir, in the state constitution is the privilege granted to the general court or the legislature to enact laws that infringe rights secured by acts of Congress? Can you tell me where that is? Mm. When they can't, it is proof positive they have no authority because if they had it, Toby, they would tell you. Right. I, I agree with you, Don, and I love the way you think. Um, and, and you know, it makes sense. And I, 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 the problem I see is they think they're untouchable, so they feel they can do whatever they want, knowing full well it's going to cost the taxpayer millions of dollars to defend on both sides of this argument because the taxpayer is going to foot the burden of one side of it, and then they got to rally the money to, um, to, to, you know, pay the rest of it, uh, as well to get their rights back. So, you know, the problem is they do it anyway, knowing full well. And this, I, I alluded to this yesterday after the Grace Curley show, if you do that in civil law, that's called false and deceptive business practice. But for some Correct. reason they can get away with it. Yeah, no, they're, they're not held to any standard, I guess, which is remarkable because that's what just made the colonists so irate when they had to deal with the king and the sheriffs and the judges. You know, we stand up in court <clears throat> when a judge walks in because the judge represents the king. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, that was an argument the U.S. Supreme Court made. <laughs> you cannot sue a judge because they represent the king because they cited English law. But the point I'm trying to make with asking questions you want them to respond in some manner so that you can understand what they know about the law. If they cannot tell you where it is, it pulls the mask off them because then they're just whipping it out their butt because they have no privilege to enact those laws. Mm. And now you can hammer them. Well, if you can't tell me where in the Constitution this privilege exists, obviously the law is unconstitutional. Am I right or wrong about that, Mr. Legislator? <laughs> Yeah, and I love it. And they're the going to say, oh, maybe you're right, but uh, we're doing it anyway. So unfortunately, we got to fire them at the but, ballot box. There you go. But yeah. uh, you have to show other people around you that these legislators are acting outside the Constitution. And that's the point. Mm. Well said. All right. Thanks so much, Don.
All right, Toby. We'll talk to you soon. Thank Take you, care. Bye-bye. Sure. Um, so I love his argument, and I wish there was a way for us to um, say, hey, this isn't working because you're obviously way outside, you, you know, you're coloring outside the lines of what you're allowed to do. But the bottom line is they're, uh, they don't care. And that's, that's painful. But um, anyway, all right, well, we will be right back after a word from our sponsor. Don't go away. Um, we'll get to your questions. I promise. I promise uh, today we are going to take lots of your questions because the whole second hour, I don't have a guest lined up. So we will do uh, questions for the whole second hour. So that we'll get to them all this week. I look forward to it. It's been a while since we've done this and I'm glad to be back in the saddle. So anyway, uh, stand by. We will be right back after this. Federal ammunition is 100 This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. Um, looking forward to uh, taking a lot of your questions. Uh, I just want to try to get through the stack of stuff. Um, it's been really tough to keep up with all the, the news as it pertains to Massachusetts and the rest of the country, because it's every day seems like there's a new... Thing going on right now we have uh this this other uh case i i think it's in the fifth circuit uh case that's being live streamed on youtube uh so there's all kinds of good stuff the rahimi case is heating up which is the one before the supreme court we've had two out of the three shoes drop from uh the uh, southern district of california the justice uh robert roger t benitez's district there the We've already had a, a positive ruling on the set for the Second Amendment community on the magazine capacity ban and the assault weapons ban. And the assault weapons ban is, I think, just priceless. It's it's really well written. He he didn't, you know, just say ditto to what I said before. He did a 74-page ruling. And boy, oh boy, is Gavin excuse me, Gavin Newsom crying about that. He is just whining and crying and, and it's glorious uh the next shoe to drop is going to be the uh, the approved weapons roster which has massive implications for those of us in massachusetts we have our own case with firearms policy coalition which i don't know when that is going to be uh that's going to drop but um they haven't even started oral arguments in that case um i think that's uh that was originally ruled to be uh, they upheld the district court uh, at the at the fifth first circuit court of appeals because they um, I'm I'm sorry they dismissed it in district court because they had ruled on it like three times prior that the approved weapons roster was not an infringement of your constitutionally protected rights because they said 
because you have other uh, guns available to you, then your rights aren't deprived. Uh, we're just narrowing it to be safe for you, uh, even though, again, it was a solution in search of a problem. So there weren't people that were dying by guns falling on the ground and shooting them in the face. There weren't people dying because uh, the gun had this weird melting point. There weren't people dying because uh, the gun was too small and it fit the hand of a child. This was all just stuff that they could do to restrict your right to keep and bear arms. And so uh, they made this approved weapons roster and California kind of did it simultaneously, maybe even before us. I think they were just before us. Uh, we were in 1998, I believe. Um, and Smith and Wesson was actually complicit in it. New regime there. It's not the same people that are at fault for that, but they were actually working with the attorney general, Luther Scott Harshbarger at the time to come up with this list of features and whatever. So they, they made a deal with the devil, which took them a long time to be forgiven. Um, so anyway, uh, this is the one that's coming down the pipeline next in the, uh, in the Southern district of California. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that happen. Um, but the, the bottom line is uh, the two cases that have dropped, one of them, the first uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals did away with the procedure of letting the three judge panel uh, take the case, the original three judge panel, which once the Supreme Court GVR'd this case, they granted certiorari. They vacated the Ninth Circuit decision and they remanded it back to them to get this court in line with the Bruin ruling. Uh, so they, you know, it all comes back to the two-step approach, which Justice uh, Clarence Thomas said is one step too many. You have to look at all law about guns through the lens of strict scrutiny. Uh, text is your first order of business. If it doesn't give you permission in the text to ban it or to, to make a law about it, then you have to look at the history and tradition as it pertains to our, um, to gun laws as of 1791. So, uh, you guys all have heard this a bunch of times. And so, uh, that's exactly how Roger T. Benitez ruled on both of those cases before the Bruin case came out. Uh, so he got it right. The Ninth Circuit overturned, not the, not the three-judge panel. They upheld his decision. The Ninth Circuit overturned it, and it got appealed to the Supreme Court, who GVR'd it. So it's this yo-yo of up and down the court system, which is driving people like me absolutely nuts. The process is going to make things a lot better for us going forward. But it is painful because we know what the end result is based on Bruin, right? We know that your rights are just that. They are rights. They're not a privilege. And Clarence Thomas was very good about saying how the Second Amendment is not a second-class right. So whatever way you would treat any other right, and that's why I gave that analogy of the, uh, the license to vote. If they issued a license to vote, there would be a revolution. They don't even want voter ID. They, they say that is racist. So if 
voter ID is racist in order to make sure someone's a citizen and registered to vote in their city or town or whatever in order to cast a ballot. Think about what gun owners have had to go through for decades throughout the country and in this state. They have been dealing with racist and uh, unconstitutional laws for decades and got away with it because of that two-step approach. But I don't think that two-step approach should ever be used for any constitutionally protected right. It should always be viewed through strict scrutiny. I don't want to hear about interest balancing. I don't want to hear about tiers of scrutiny. I don't want to hear about statistics. I don't want to hear about, you know, your feelings. All I want to say is the Constitution is a document that people lost their fortunes over. They died over. They gave up their homesteads over. They lost everything over in order to bring us this country. And I know that was a process from 1776 to 1791. But the point is, once they signed that Declaration of Independence, there, there was no safety net for them. They couldn't fall on the mercy of the court. It, it was a declaration of war. And they had no other option other than to defend the document that they just signed. And there isn't a politician today who stands on the floor of whatever, you know, hill they, they serve on, whether it's Beacon Hill or Capitol Hill or whatever, that are willing to lose their life, their fortune, their family, their fame, all for the enactment of whatever law that they believe in. Not a single one. All right. They, they you know, they might talk a good talk. They might, you know, but every single one of those 120 uh, state representatives that voted to deprive you of your right to keep and bear arms, they would, none of them would willingly give up their fortunes, their jobs, their livelihoods, their families, and even their life for that. Just saying, I highly doubt it. I, I bet you out of the 120, there's not a single one that would be that principled that they would be willing to fight to the death for it. But that's exactly what our founders did. They fought to the death for the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Many of them died and many of them uh, lost all their fortunes, their families, and their, and their livelihoods. And so for that reason, I think it should be held to a much higher standard. Any right that uh, somebody wants to pass a law to encumber, they should have to go through the scrutiny of, um, you know, of our historical analysis. And it shouldn't be easy to change those rights. It should be extremely difficult and hard, which it is. Uh, but as Don pointed out, you know, they, they point out, they pass laws like this, knowing full well that they're violating your right to keep and bear arms. And there's really not much you can do about it other than vote them out. And that can be hard in a state like Massachusetts. So anyway, um, there's a lot of work to be done. 
uh, there's a lot more to be uh, done to re regain our rights. I think the tide has shifted in a, in a way that I haven't seen in my lifetime. So it's truly exciting time to live. Um, but, you know, it, a lot of people moved out of the state saying it would never get better. And I believe that it will get better. And I predicted it would get worse before it gets better. But that's um, that's the way it's going to go. So a um, bunch of stuff. Uh, we have a lot more activity at the gun store because of the civil unrest, if you will, the open border. We have uh, people still streaming into our countries, our cities, our towns. It's touching every state in the nation now. Uh, whereas it used to be a localized problem in border cities, but now you see it happening everywhere. Massachusetts declared a state of emergency once 60,000 undocumented illegal aliens got to the state. And we are one of those right to shelter states, which, believe it or not, doesn't extend to illegal aliens, people who are in the country illegally. But we're applying it that way. We're saying, you have a right to housing. So we're putting them up in hotels. We're paying the bill. We're giving them meal cards. We're giving them bus tickets. We're giving them airplane tickets. We're giving them a cell phone and saying, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll cover your cost of everything. Meanwhile, there's homeless veterans on the street. There's people that can't get housing. There's families that can't afford to live here. There's people that are starving on the streets. Uh, and, and yet they, they can't, make the same claim to a right to shelter. I, I don't get it. Uh, so we see that. Then we see our, our legislators cracking down on gun control in a lot of these states like Maryland, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey. Uh, we saw it in Oregon. We saw it in Washington State, uh, California. So a lot of the states are, you know, having their temper tantrum, knowing that their days are, of gun control are numbered and they don't care. They're going to pass laws anyway at, in violation of their oath of office and, you know, try to make it so that we have to fight and litigate our way back to the Supreme Court in order to get our rights restored. So it's this vicious circle and yo-yo. Um, and so because people are seeing that, they're like, I need to arm myself. We, we saw that invasion of Gaza um, or southern Israel from Gaza, where the Hamas terrorists were coming over the border via holes in the fence on dirt bikes and paragliders and all kinds of stuff. And and uh, Mark Smith says it best from Four Boxes Diner. He said, uh, look at the, the book he wrote um, about Ukraine, the lessons Ukraine could learn from uh from the lessons of gun control, right? They were passing out guns too late to make a difference uh, on this invasion from the Russian forces. Same thing here in Israel. We we know that in the last few years that the, the Israelis had disarmed their people. And we had Oren Julian this past summer uh, before all this happened in Hamas and we asked her about how it is to own gun ownership in Israel. And she said that at the time, they only allowed you to have 50 rounds of ammunition in your home if you were even allowed to own a gun and you had to be an armed professional. So that's why she was able to uh, 
uh, own guns because she was an armed professional. She's a professional shooter. So, um, but still limited to 50 rounds of ammunition. That's kind of hard to have in order to uh, repel a Hamas organized terrorist attack with RPGs, grenades, and, and small arms. That's a, you know, that's a scary thing to think about. And people are starting to see it. Man, our southern border is wide open. And these are unvetted military-age males. Why are they coming here? A lot of them are. Um, and what are we going to do if they get activated by some terrorist cell? A lot of them are from uh, terrorist nations, so uh, terrorist sponsor nations. So it's, it's really uh, disturbing in a lot of ways. And all the while, politicians are like trying to take our guns away at the same time. Every day or week goes by, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden is urging Congress to pass an assault weapons ban. And Joe Biden will sign it. Well, we know he'll sign it. But the point is, thank God, there's a Congress that's not going to do it. But um, this is all contributing to uh, increased demand. And it's very recent. It's Things come in threes. I believe in the rule of three. You see three different things. It, call, it causes people to act. So we saw this uh, disturbing attack by Hamas on Israelis. We saw uh, this law passed in Massachusetts State House uh, by the by the House of Representatives that is basically a categorical ban on semi-automatic rifles. We also know that um, there's a presidential election coming up, which goes along with that, and uh, we see unchecked crime in our cities. We see mass looting. We see people getting beaten in the streets for trying to drive down a road when protesters are coming in and swarming their vehicle. Frankly, I think that is domestic terrorism. If people are swarming vehicles on the roadways, they should be charged with domestic terrorism. Uh, I saw the one in Chicago that this poor guy was literally crying his eyes out as they're trying to shatter his windshield, shatter his, his door glass. And he's trying not to hit anybody, but the crowd is swarming him. And what, what do you think is going to happen to that guy if that crowd gets him out of the car? It is not going to be a good situation. Um, frankly, I think they should decriminalize de, uh, running over crowds of people who are there to peacefully protest. But I know that's never going to happen because these are their constituents and their uh, their voting block. But um, it's a crazy world. So those three things, those three factors all contribute to people saying, now we got to get out, get our the gun that they say we can't have. We're going to get our license to carry and we're going to stock up on some ammo. So we're going to talk about ammo on the other side. I see some questions in the comments and uh, we will we will get to that. But don't go anywhere. We're talking about all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense, which is under attack in the state of Massachusetts. So I'm Toby Leary. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. 
Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and I'm grateful that you are with me uh, each and every week. And I apologize, it's been a little while since we had a full show uh, with everything going on. Uh, it's been a little crazy. The phone number, if you want to call in, is 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. Uh, and we'll get you right on the line. Uh, but before we do uh, any of that, and before I get to your questions in the in the chat, um, the, like I mentioned, things come in threes, right? So what, what are the three things that have just recently happened in ammo land? It's we had a plant fire or, or a small explosion at the Hornady factory, um, which one person lost their life and two others were injured. Uh, I, I feel and pray for the families that were affected. <clears throat> and the, the second thing to happen was Vista Ammunition, uh, which is our nation's largest ammo company. They own uh, CCI, Remington Ammunition, Federal, Heavy Shot, uh, Spear, and I'm probably forgetting a couple other ones, State. Um, so there's some other stuff out there as well, uh, some of the smaller ammo manufacturers but these this is a huge conglomerate uh federal premium of course um and they were just recently acquired by the a czech group uh that is a czechoslovakian group that is interested in arming and sending arms and ammunition to ukraine now they also acquired uh i think the fioki primer plant so they're they're buying up big time, and they acquired uh, Vista Ammunition or Vista Group, uh, the ammunition division of Vista, uh, and put um, for one point nine one billion dollars. That's a big big dollar amount, um, which actually it's lower than I would have expected. Um, so they they acquired them. And their interests are now going to be towards sending ammo to Ukraine, which I think is crazy if you ask me. But that's, uh, you know, one of the reasons they bought the bought federal and Vista ammo. So that's uh, the second shoe to drop. And the third shoe to drop was um, the fact that the something Joe Biden has been trying to do here for since he took office, which is get the Lake City ammunition plant to stop selling to civilians. And I saw some news articles that Lake City is going to stop selling 5.56 to, uh, to civilians, which the Lake City contract is currently held by Winchester, and they are the ones producing uh, you know, massive amounts of ammunition. And I think that that is a, that is a serious, serious blow because 30% of 
all of the civilian ammo sales around 5.56 NATO ammo comes from the uh, Lake City plant. So I hope that um, that that doesn't pan out and it's not really true. I've, it's a story I've heard several times throughout the past few years and usually it doesn't play out or pan out. But I'm hoping, you know, I've, I've heard it more in the last few weeks about that, that they're going to stop selling to civilians. However, um, some good news is that uh, SIG, who has been opening a $150 million plant in um, Arkansas, is probably going to push SIG to the forefront of uh, the ammunition world which they've been in for some time now and it was mostly at a as a premium ammo level uh premium ammo company they make very very good ammo uh but it's a little bit cost prohibitive so uh their their price on like defensive ammo is very good their defense their price on like range and training ammo is not very good it's expensive so we'll see what happens. There's an article on Ammo Land about it. Um, the expansion is expected to bring 600 jobs to the region. And uh, they're in Jacksonville, Arkansas, by the way. And uh, the investment was $150 million, And this wasn't just about job creation. The expansion will also support multiple contracts with the U.S. Department of Defense, which doesn't matriculate down to URI, um, plus adding various ammunition production components the 250,000 square foot building that will uh, be accommodating manufacturing processes. And uh, they're incredibly excited about expanding their ammunition operations in Jacksonville, building upon years of success, stated Ron Cohen, the president and chief executive of uh, SIG Inc. This move underscores the company's dedication to its Arkansas operations, especially since the Jacksonville plant currently employs nearly 350 individuals in this expansion will add another 625 jobs. That's good. Um, I don't know what this means for you or I, uh, for me and you, I should say, uh, but we'll wait and see. So uh, it's one of those things that could end up being um, very good. It might lower some ammo costs to us, but we'll wait and see. So, um, all right, you're next on Rapid Fire. How are you today? Are you there? Oh, sorry. I'm asleep at the wheel. Are you, are you there now? Hello, hello? Toby? Yes, I got you. Uh, hi, I'm calling from New Hampshire, but I, uh, I just want to pass some, uh, something along to you. Um, sure. When they passed that bill in the House, 4135, which is now 4139, Okay. Mm -hmm. They did not have that on the calendar. Calendar is like the agenda where they're going to take up. I just have a strange feeling in my gut. The Senate's having a session tomorrow. They are going to take that up with telling anybody, and they're going to bring that up, and they're going to ram that through. So keep your eyes peeled. Because I, I used to work up there for the Joint Committee on Judiciary, and I was back there when they, in 1998 when they passed that comprehensive gun bill. Mm. And I watched that clown show. 
And uh, I just want to let everybody know because they did it the last time. They took an appropriations bill and they turned it into the firearms bill. They didn't announce when they were going to take it up. They just took it up out of the clear blue sky. And I got a feeling that's what they're going to do this time in the Senate. Well, I hope not. Um, I know Karen Spilka's office has said that she is tasked with coming out with the Senate version of this bill and, and they want to come out with their own bill. So I, I don't know if they're have kissed and made up and now they're playing nicely together and they're going to take a look at this bill or if they're going to come out with their own and hash it out in committee, which will all be done behind closed doors. Uh, it won't be done for the, you and I to see, but um, that is certainly uh, some great information. And uh, hopefully... Uh, Toby, there's one more thing. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Okay. As far as the Senate version of the bill, mm-hmm. what they can do is they can come up with a bill beforehand. And during the proceedings, okay, when they're talking about, they can make a motion to substitute. So in other words, they'll, you know, substitute that bill for their bill. Sure. And then just pass it. Yeah. So, I, you know, I know how they work. I have a cop, and I've been tracking this bill uh, very carefully. I even have the video, and that's what they'll do. They'll substitute the language uh, on their bill and catch it on there. Then they'll send it back, and if the House agrees with it, then it'll get enacted and passed. If they don't, then they'll go to conference, and that's the way I think it's going to go down. Mm. Well, I, I hope not, but uh, you could be right, and uh, we'll see. Uh, I think most people in the gun community are a little optimistic that they don't think it's going to pass the Senate as written in the House, but you never know. Uh, we know that one thing is true, and that is the Senate is very much in favor of passing a bill of their own um, and getting some massive gun control legislation passed in this legislative session. So hopefully not, but yeah, thanks so much for the call and that information. It's definitely something we got to pay attention to and be on our toes. And uh, thanks so much for the call from New Hampshire. You have a a great day too. Thanks so much. Um, So yeah, if you want to call, it's 508-444-2120. And uh, he he could be right. You know, that's something you we just got to we don't know. They're not like doing anything above board. They're not the way the whole bill went down and how many times it changed names and, you know, numbers and and the way that they uh, are packaging it up and sending it over to the uh, Senate is dirty all the way around. It's it's just dirty politics. And uh, it was debated. It was. There was testimony. There was this listening tour. But the one thing it tells us is that it was all being done under the pretext of, you know, going through the motions in a real open and honest way. We know now that this nothing could be further from the truth. It was done under the cover of darkness in a way they knew this bill was coming down the line. They were just going through the motions to say that they checked all the boxes and they're not, you know, I heard hours of testimony last Wednesday about how they are not depriving you of your right to keep and bear arms. And boy, we'll talk a little bit about that on the other side as well, because that is something that really, as Mayor Mumbles Mumbles Menino used to say, really fries my nose. So, because 
it's it's dirty. There's no other way around it. Dirty with a capital D. All right, we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. We'll be right back after this. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Hey everybody, Toby from Cape Gunworks here and it's time for another rapid fire gun of the week. This week I have a classic. Well, it's a, it's a cool iteration of a classic. The Springfield M1A Tanker. So it's a shorter overall length and a beautiful walnut stock. But I just love the way this gun feels in your hand. It has a detachable magazine. It is semi-automatic. Uh, and this one has a muzzle brake on it instead of the big longer flash hider that you see on the more traditional national match versions of these guns. Uh, but this is a really, really cool gun. A lot of people have been coming in lately and wanting a 308 version of a semi-automatic rifle. And this is one of the three guns I think I'll be able to sell after that horrible Bill H4135 gets signed into law, or if it gets signed into law. But uh, it would not be in this co configuration because the muzzle brake would become an additional feature. So uh, the Springfield M1A is available in 6.5 Creedmoor and uh, 308. This is the 308 version in the tanker configuration, like I said. The other thing that's pretty cool about these is you can mount on the side a scope mount that comes up over the top of the action. So it's easy to put a red dot sight or a uh, scope or a low power variable optic, if you will. It comes with a uh, peep sight on the back. Uh, so, you know, with side controls to adjust for windage and elevation. Um, really neat gun. It is, it is basically pays homage to the M14, which the military used all the way up through the Vietnam War and, and beyond that. So, uh, really neat. And there are pre-band mags that exist for it. They're hard to find, but we do come across them every once in a while. So, if you want a great 308 and you're looking for uh, semi-auto configuration that's smaller and uh, easier to handle for maybe home defense or for hunting or something like that. This is a great choice uh, and we have them in stock right now. It's the gun of the week so go to rapidfireradio.us, scroll down, click on gun of the week and then use GOW at checkout for a very special savings. So thanks for tuning in and I'll see you on Rapid Fire. All right. There you have that. That's the rapid fire gun of the week. And um, pretty cool gun. I, I love those M1As. Uh, so if you haven't seen the tanker, they're, they're just so cool. I think they're, they're really neat because they're a modern rifle, but yet they have the well-oiled walnut stock and, you know, pays homage to yesteryear. So, um, all right, let's get to your questions as promised. If you want to be on the line with me today, that's fine. It's free for all, open line, uh, Wednesday, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's 508-444-2120. I 
That's 508-444-2120. And um, I alluded to uh, something before the break. And uh, I was, uh, I was going to say that um, it was, it was in regards to um, our rights, but uh, I took enough time. Let's, let's talk about, cause that'll send me down another 20 minute rabbit hole and I have to learn to uh, uh, do what I say I'm going to do, which is, I said, I'm getting a your question. So let's do that. All right. Snake says he can't listen. He's at the gym and his headset died. What the heck? Uh, thanks for being a spearhead in the fight against 4135. As the caller just mentioned, it's now 4139. Um, so there you go. And thank you, Silvermine. I appreciate it uh, that you're listening from Connecticut. Um, let's see. Uh, I got yelled at because it's 4139. I'm still calling it HD 4420 for crying out loud. I'm, I'm still that, you know, I have PTSD from 4420, but, uh, and all my signs say that everyone was talking about a sticker for when it went from 4420 to 4607. Then it went from 4607 to 4135. Now it's 4139. And there was a slight pause there with 4090. So it's just mind boggling, but, um, crazy. Uh, Snake has a go a good way of uh, referring to it. Um, hey, Mariano and Day, you can go do something that is extremely inappropriate uh, as it pertains to our rights. Um, anyone have a favorite Ambi Lower? Ooh, 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 I do, I do. Call on me. All right, since you did, uh, I would. I like the Seekins Precision the most. Um, I haven't seen him lately though, but actually. I have a SBR over my shoulder somewhere. Yeah, this one right here. The Seekins Precision is a really cool ambi lower. Um, Spikes Tactical Gen 2 Billet is my other favorite ambi lower. Um, but anyway, that's two of them. Nemo Arms makes a good one too. If I If I had to keep going, those are my favorite three. But there you have it. Uh, Pre-existing right is not a privilege. Licensure is unconstitutional and should be challenged here in mass. I agree. Uh, thank you for that, Michael. I, I would agree 100%. Uh, oh, and uh, Duncan is pointing out the Santan. That, that's a good one as well. We've sold a bunch of those. It's fixed mags. They're, they make one that's the pillar bed, pillar bedded ambi billet lower. Yeah, there you go. Uh, what he said. <laughs> and those are pretty cool as well. Um, I'm a big fan of the Santan tactical ones. Uh, let's see. Um, these anti-gun folks certainly don't live out here where PD is searching for a murderer in our woods. Yeah. And you know, the the sad thing about that, Duncan, is the constitute i mean the supreme court has ruled that the government has no duty to protect you um even if they're present at the time the crime or offense is about to be committed they don't have a duty or an obligation to protect you that's the crazy thing um so uh you know for that reason i'll keep my guns thank you very much not that i would want my 
anyone else to be, you know, I would not want to ever have to rely on anyone else to keep me safe. That is, I think, uh, intuitively a personal attribute that everybody should do and take seriously. Uh, government has the powers and the people have the rights. That's the right of the people excludes the government. I would agree with that, Billy. That makes sense. Um, and, you know, somewhere along the line, though, we've allowed the script to be flipped. Uh, that's my line that I use in almost all my speeches that I make. And that is that, you know, we've all of a sudden started taking the cues from government rather than telling them what their limited powers are. And, you know, that I think is is really sad um, because they you give them an inch and they take a mile. And that's why, you know, in the last few years when they had expanded powers, they got involved in every aspect of our lives and our businesses and told us what we could and couldn't do when we couldn't couldn't do it. And if you didn't have a certain piece of paper, you were going to be in trouble. So um, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, you said this the other day about your storage workbench. Uh, toolbox with four with seven 47 inch wide drawers that fit rifles each three rifles each and a wooden top now i need to fill it well come on down we just got those four robinson xcrls that i i was hoping to make those gun of the week they didn't come by the time i shot that video so um, hopefully uh we'll still have some if <laughs> we do this next week uh, I, although I doubt it, I doubt they survived the weekend. These guns take like six months for me to get. And then when I get them, they go poof. So I, and I've had these on order for a long time. I've even tried to do monthly orders with them. It doesn't matter. No matter what I try to do, I get three or four at a time, maybe six at a time. And, uh, there you go. Uh, third circuit just heard the New Jersey sensitive places appeal today. Yes. That was probably the one that I thought it was a fifth circuit, but, um, yeah, that's going to go down in flames, hopefully. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. The Third Circuit isn't exactly a gun-friendly uh, court, but we'll see what happens. The, the ruling yesterday about the New York, uh, I keep calling it the Safer Communities Act. I know that's not right. It's the their Bruin response bill, whatever the heck that was, the New York... Uh, something about Concealed Carry Improvement Act. That's what it was, Con Concealed Carry Improvement Act, which it doesn't improve a thing. It makes it 10 times worse. Uh, they're sensitive, they're, uh, what do you call it? The uh, Good Moral Character Clause was struck down in the subjective nature. And that's the one thing that our legislature is clinging to. Uh, the mass legislature has reaffirmed and said it again and again and again, that, um, there's a good moral character and sense and uh, and subjective language that they're clinging to. When we had Jason Guida on, he was talking about this as well. And I'm like, dude, this is against Bruin. And that's exactly what they're doing. And he kind of was like, yeah, well, you know, they're they're saying if you um, don't have aren't a uh, what is the what is the wording that this Massachusetts uses? It's like um, it's not good moral character, but it's uh, it's contingent upon you being a uh, 
suitable. That's what it is, suitable person. And I would ask anyone out there to define what suitable means in the eyes of bureaucrats, because generally speaking, it's a police officer and, and the chief licensing officer is usually the chief of police or the sheriff. Um, but they say that uh, if you aren't a suitable person, and I have a case we're dealing with right now on a nationally uh, known case that has been talked about on Four Boxes Diner and on Guns and Gadgets and on my show. Uh, I'm working with someone tomorrow, as a matter of fact, about this very thing. And this could trigger a massive, massive lawsuit about the suitability because guess what it doesn't do? If they deem you uh, unsuitable based on prior infractions that don't make you a federally prohibited person, then the the May issue license really never went away. It never got brought into compliance with Bruin. So if they won't issue you the license to carry, then you can't exercise your right to keep and bear arms. You're in violation of Bruin, Heller, McDonald, and Caetano. And so uh, what they're what they are trying to make the argument of, okay, you can get a gun in your house, but you won't be able to carry it. Well, you're in violation of Bruin now. So Bruin affirmed that it is a uh, a right that to keep and bear, which I don't know why we keep needing Supreme Courts to declare this. We've had this right since the formation of our Second Amendment in 1791, that ratification process. What does bear mean? It means carry. It means have on your body. It's something that you can carry and bear on your body. And that implies outside of the home. There's no keep implies inside of the home. Bear implies outside of the home. So keep and bear is a two-pronged approach. So you can't just regulate somebody or relegate somebody to only keeping guns in the home. They must be able to bear them. And if you won't issue a license to carry, how can they bear them? Lawsuit. Uh, that's how. Unfortunately, that's how you have to do it. But all right. Uh, Duncan, thank you very much. Um, good example of how we should be fighting a uh, great mentor for us. Uh, well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, really, it's just having the courage to pick up the phone or write an email or send a letter. That's really all it comes down to. And, um, you know, anyone can do what I do. It's not that hard. And uh, it gets a lot easier as you do it. So, um, I was very intimidated with walking into representatives' offices and requesting to be heard and sit down with them and talk to them face-to-face -face, or at least their aide because they're always too busy for me. Um, but now that I've done it a bunch, it's like, pff, I don't have any problem with it whatsoever. And uh, that is surprising that, you know, that is the access to the level of, to our government that we have and should be exercised if they don't hear from us or see from, see us on a regular basis or when they come home to campaign if we're not meeting with them and telling them how we feel shoot we get what we deserve right um so you know that whole process um this whole process has really opened my eyes to the 
ease of which we have access to our government and our government officials and how they should be subjected to us, not the other way around. So, um, yeah. Once again, if you want to call the show, it's 508-444-2120. And, uh, I, I mentioned this bird runner. So, um, it's disappointing to me. I, I'm sad to see such an old federal, you know, company like federal, an old ammunition company being sold off to the Czech Republic. Um, yeah, it's, it's very sad. And especially for all the wrong reasons, if you ask me, um, did they create laws like this after the civil war things that make you go, Hmm. Yeah, they did David. And I think that's what you're referring to. There was a lot of, you know, Jim Crow and there was even Supreme court justices that said, uh, we can't just hand guns out to freed slaves because then they will be able to access guns and could potentially defend themselves if we want to lynch them. You know, that's practically the language that he said. That That isn't exactly it. I paraphrased and threw some artistic license in there. Uh, not as bad as Adam Schiff did on Donald Trump's phone call with Vladimir, uh, you know, the guy from Ukraine, whatever his name is. <laughs> What is his name? It's not Vlad. It's uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank senior moment here. But anyway, um, it's that whole routine that he did about what Donald Trump said to him is, is unbelievable. But all right, back to your questions. Um, didn't they learn that in civics class? Oh, wait, there is no more civics classes. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, let's see. John, good to see you. ASD, politicians usually won't answer a direct question, just answer in a general way. Thank you for your interest. Yes, you'll get that a lot back in a form letter like, oh, I'm going to educate myself on this issue and we will, uh, you know, deal with it according to how our constituents want us to. Yeah, right. Um, what is my favorite ammo from federal uh Good question. Um, I would say the Blazer Brass ammo because it's cheap and cheerful, very clean and, and um, consistent and runs well. Uh, I, I think it's an excellent ammo. Um, I like the CCI Lawman because they make a uh, velocity and a bullet weight that matches the duty weapon ammo like for police departments so they make like 147 grain tmj round that has the same velocity and and kick as a as their hollow point version in the in the law enforcement field that they make so those are cool but they're expensive um so i think federal premium does a phenomenal job um making all kinds of ammo they also make great buckshot with that flight control wad which is really good um but under the federal umbrella um remington is now under the vista umbrella that just got bought out by this company and that is i would say um the federal accutip i'm sorry the remington accutip 20 gauge slug it's a sabot slug that is just a tack driver it's a laser beam of a round and um great for deer hunting around here. 
in Massachusetts where we can't use high powered rifle or, uh, you know, center fire rifles. So, uh, let's see if I were to buy a gun online and have it sent to Cape Gunworks, how long do I have to come and get it? Um, man, I mean, the back room gets pretty full, John. So I'd say within 30 days would be nice if it, you know, if we're not sitting on waiting the, for the money, I don't really care, but we do get kind of jammed up for space. So, uh, I would say give us 30 days max, um, would like to see that gun come out of the warehouse, uh, after 30 days. All right. Uh, let's see. I can't believe what has been going on in the state for the last 10 years. Uh, mass from the sixties to two thousands was awesome. Well, LARP it's, it is sad. Um, I would say I had all of one year of the glory days in Massachusetts. I got my license to carry when I was 18 years old, 1993. And then a year later, 94, September 13, 1994, the assault weapons ban, magazine restriction ban, uh, all happened. And we've been living under that ever since. So extremely frustrating in that year that I became a gun owner. And before that law passed, I used to go to gun shows and I remember all the cool stuff you could buy at gun shows like, uh, SP 89s, you know, the HK SP 89. And I was like, what? 1900 bucks. This guy's, you know, smoking a fatty because I can get it from shotgun news for 1750, you know? And, uh, <laughs> I, I'm like, Oh, 1900 bucks for an SP 89 now would be like, a I won the lottery. Um, so yeah, I had one year of the good old days, if you ask me. Um, so whatever best gun for partridge hunting, thinking four ten over under, um, yeah, not a bad choice. If you're a crack shot, uh, you won't destroy them too bad if you, if you do that. But, um, I would say, uh, demolition get a 28 gauge because it has the same velocity as 20 gauge for the first 20 yards or 30 yards and then again the shot content is a lot smaller than uh 20 gauge or 12 gauge so you're not going to destroy the bird um, but i think it's a little more pop than the 410 but it's all in how good you shoot so hopefully that helps um the common sense problem with common sense gun control is they think they're getting rid of frame transfers will equate to lower crime and it has no basis in reality or research. I, I want to point something out, LARP, and that is they don't think it'll do anything. They know it won't. This is how gun control works. Already they're touting the lowest murder rate in the country in Massachusetts. They say our gun laws have got us the lowest murder rate in the country, but even one is too many. Um, one murder is too many. So therefore we need to do more because people are dying on our streets. 
we need to do more. And this is helping. We're modernizing our gun laws so that people who want to make guns can't. Well, nothing can be further from the truth. They're never going to be able to stop people from making guns. They did that in uh, Japan decades ago, and that former president Abe got shot by a homemade gun and murdered right on TV. The, the bottom line is you're never going to be able to control criminals through control of the law abiding. It's ignorant. It's, it's very uh, unefficient and it's presumptive and capricious to even think so. Well, how else does that work, right? There's people that are committed to spending years and decades of their life behind bars. There's also people who don't want to spend a day behind bars. So you pass a law and the guy who doesn't want to spend a day behind bars is going to go, I can't believe I got to abide by this law, but I'm going to do it because I don't want to go to jail. And then the other people are like, sweet. I don't have, I don't, I have one less armed person on the street that I got to worry about. That's the problem with it. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And if they proposed something that actually fixed the problem, then they lose the gun control narrative. The whole reason they have a narrative is because A, they know gun control doesn't work. And B, they, they have this slippery slope approach that 30 years ago, when I said I first became a gun owner, we would hear a lot of arguments against high-capacity magazines and assault weapons. That was the whole era where assault weapon term started, really. And people would buy in and be like, nobody needs a military-style assault weapon on our streets. Why does anybody need a military assault weapon, right? And even gun owners started to, like, warm up to this and say, yeah, like, I don't need that. Like all I do is go shoot skeet and trap and I go hunt up in the mountains for deer. And I, you know, I do that with my bolt action and my over under, I don't need an assault weapon. We've lost the argument if we're going to concede those points and there is no argument, right? This is a right, the right to keep and bear arms. It's not a privilege. So therefore you can't put conditions on it. And uh, we, we lose when we start to concede those points. And I know there's a certain place where all of us concede at some point, right? If tomorrow somebody advocated to put that proverbial uh, machine gun vending machine in our child's elementary school, you know, we're going to be like, man, eh, it's probably not a good idea, right? That's a terrible idea. So we're all in favor of gun control to a certain extent. But I think that's more of the argument that, yeah, you know what? what's the point of giving machine guns to 12 year olds? There isn't, there isn't one. Number one, they can't vote. Number one, they can't buy alcohol. Number one, they can't buy a pack of smokes. Number two, you know, four, they can't serve in our nation's military. They're not a contributor to our national defense in that way. So yeah, we can regulate guns as a, as a means to an end in, in that regard. But when they're 18, I can't regulate that anymore and they should have access to whatever gun that they seem fit if they're not a prohibited person. All right. Um, 
you guys are really trying to get me down the rabbit trail today uh, with some of these questions. Um, lots of gangbangers milling out 80 percenters. Even if they did, they violate the law by doing it, right? So how are we going to stop them? They're, they've already said that they're not willing. As soon as that gun goes bang, they violated the law because they're a prohibited person. Presumably, they are a prohibited person. If you take the typical gangbanger that's done felonies and, and are willing to uh, go to jail for what they do. So I ask you again, how does restricting me from milling out my own 80% lower make our streets safer when said gangbanger is committed to doing it anyway. And I would, I'll tell you what the argument is. If you make it illegal to do it and uh, then you can't buy the parts, then they don't have access. Okay, but you just severely restricted my freedom. And that's never a good idea to severely restrict the freedom of 300 and some odd Amer million Americans for the criminal acts of a few who are violating the law already. So adding more laws to them that they'd violate is irrelevant, right? And technology is always going to come to the point where, you know, you tell someone you can't and technology coming around there's going to come a point where they can and they will. So you can continue to regulate the people you don't need to worry about, or you can go after the bad actors. I say, let's go after the bad actors. Let's concentrate on that. And if you want to say, well, there's a bunch of people that um, are supplying the bad actors. Okay. Maybe that's something worth looking into. Uh, but, Frankly, I, I don't, I, that's a slippery slope. I don't even want to go down. So um, anyway, let's move on. Uh, safety from guns, not safety with guns, which is a tactic to force their point of view right from the beginning of a conversation. Yeah. Uh, so they, they've already changed the wording of the argument from Saturday night special. Well, let's go way back, 1934 to machine guns. Short-barreled rifles, short-barreled shotguns, silencers. Then you got Saturday night specials. Then you got assault weapons. Then you got weapons of war. And, and then gun control was the buzzword. And then it's pivoted again now to gun safety. The gun safety, everybody. Oh, I forgot about common sense gun reform. Uh, common sense gun control. Common sense gun re reform. Uh, that was a buzzword. And now the buzzword is gun safety. They don't care about gun safety. All they care about is control and disarmament and confiscation. Do we have any SL8s? Well, it's funny you should ask because I have one on the way. Um, it's not here. But yeah, and that is, those two, Chris, are... <laughs> Those came out during the 94 assault weapons ban versions or iterations of those. And uh, maybe not the USC. I can't remember when that came out. Um, but basically that it might have been at sometime in that decade before 2004. But the point I'm trying to make is those guns are about as neutered 
as they come. They never had a muzzle device, except if you go back to the UMP, which was the full auto version. Um, but they never had a muzzle device. They never had anything more than a 10 round mag. They never had a, an adjustable, collapsible folding stock. They never had a bayonet lug. They have a funky thumb hole stock. They were the most neutered gun in America. They Most of them don't even come with a Picatinny rail to put a scope or a red dot on it. And you got to order that from HK or get it off the shelf. But the, the bottom line is uh, it was, you know, this sporting rifle that was, you know, a, either a pistol caliber carbine or the 5.56 version. But it was purpose built to be in the slot of outside of the regulators and Massachusetts is even coming after that by name. So that's a great point. Um, as soon as your windows are broken, deadly force could be used. What was watching a video by a lawyer about it. Um, yeah, I would say so. Um, I think, you know, if, if I'm trapped in traffic and they're breaking my windows, all bets are off. But some of these videos are frightening. Like, you know, what's your 10 rounds in your handgun going to do to 300 people trying to smash you? Um, obviously, it's if you're in fear of your life. But uh, let's see. Windows breaking isn't enough. The prosecution could claim he was a benevolent lost uh lost person who mistook the house. I think he's talking about the car LARP, um, the scenario I talked about. Um, I could see some import ban on ammo if these companies move out of the country. I don't know if they're going to move out. They really need the primers. There's only seven, I think, primer companies in America. And uh, that's really where this is all stemmed from. We had uh, Fred Wagonhalls on a few weeks ago from Ammo Inc., and uh, they have this beautiful, big state-of-the-art facility, but they don't have primer production. Um, so that's a that's a problem. That's the bottleneck. Uh, Mass State Police has concluded day four of searching Gardner murderer not found. Keep your arms nearby when pe bad people are in your woods. Yeah, and that's where my uh, <laughs> I found I found it ironic that the seventh listening tour stop was in Gardner, Mass where that's where I was a panelist. And I said, man, we're out in the middle of the sticks in the woods where they're not dealing with high crime area. It's a sportsman, it's hunting and community and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it's probably the most pro gun spot that they stopped on the listening tour. And, uh, I found that to be quite interesting that they had the pro gun panel in Gardner mass, uh, instead of like new Bedford or, you know, Roxbury or, uh, Dorchester or even Barnstable. Like, uh, I didn't even know about it in time for Barnstable. I had a family event that I had to attend. So, uh, the very first listening tour stop I missed, but anyway, uh, regardless of if there's a murderer hiding in the woods or not, keep your arms close. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. We will sue the Commonwealth for knowingly violating our rights. I hope so. Um, hey, Davey, how come ammo isn't on your website anymore? I, I did not know it wasn't. I will have to check on that. But um, that's a good question. Got me thinking. Uh, let's let's see how it goes. 
Um, I've been saying since Healy started running for governor that they would do this. Yeah, for sure. Um, take care, Duncan. Uh, there's a spot for ammo next to firearms on the banner on the website. Thank you, John. Uh, I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't know it wasn't there. Let's put it that way. I could check while I'm here. Let's see. Uh, Cape Gunworks. Dot com. Uh, and I'll, yeah, wait, it looks like, oh, that's not my website. Mistyped. All right, let's see. I'm going to try something I've never tried. Um, cool, look at this. Ah, yeah. All right, so let's do this together. Ammo. Bada bing, bada boom. So you click on that. You can go to handgun or rifle or shotgun. So the good news is it is still there. If it's being shipped to Massachusetts, there's an FFL required. Uh, we'll ship it to your FFL near you. Uh, or if it says in-store now, you can buy it on our website and you can pick it up here in person. Um, we may, I'm very shorthanded right now, but we may uh, pick up the delivery service again. I know Anne Marie was curious about that. So anyway, um, hopefully we'll be able to do that again, um, but not until I get some help. Uh, so there you go. Uh, I'm on PC, maybe different on mobile. The M1A is a great rifle. Yes, uh, it's not there. I just looked mobile Chrome. All right, well, we'll, we'll have to look into that. Um, I can't do that on the screen share because I can't share my screen on my mobile, but uh, you might be able to type it in in the search. Um, so website has been an ongoing battlefield that I wish I, I didn't have to um, contend with. I wish it was a set it and forget it and just let it go. And it just magically everything on my in my store and my distribution channels would just populate and work flawlessly and all that. But um, yeah, uh, I was wondering which of the Franklin Armory rifles is mass compliant with the three-way fun switch. Um, it's the mass version that's on our website that has the fixed magazine. Uh, we should have those in stock. If not, we will be getting getting them. Or you could even buy like the um, the ones we have from DSI, Dark Storm Industries, and just drop the binary trigger in it. That's what the third switch is. Uh, not the third switch. Um, sorry, that was a bad Frankenstein reference, but. Uh, yeah, it has the binary trigger, so it's safe, semi, and binary, which means it fires when you pull and fires when you let go. So it's still performing one function with each press of the trigger, but it's kind of when you let off, it fires as well. So we do have pre-ban AR mags in store, Bob, but they are going quick. I have another 100 or so coming in, but uh, the 500 and something I had that at the beginning of the or middle of the summer are I think I'm down to less than a dozen so 
Um, but we have some, we do still have some, and I have another hundred or so coming in, but they are flying off the shelves. So you might want to call if you're on your way specifically for that. But if it's not just for that, come anyway, and we'll, we'll hook you up with what we got. There was a website, uh, let's see, that you could find a pre-band donor across the country. <laughs> Help us out behind the lines, trade pre-band rifle for a new rifle. That, that'd be a good idea, Chris. Maybe we should look into that. Um, I can get plenty of post-band rifles. So um, that's something to consider. I like that thought. Uh, Pre-band donors, donate your gun today. It's like that uh, Cars for Kids ad that we hear around Christmas time. Donate your car today. Donate your gun today to, to those of us behind enemy lines. Um, I always thought that was extremely irresponsible to to donate cars to kids because uh, kids can't even drive. So why are we going to give them cars, right? Uh, <laughs> bad attempt at dry humor. But um, anyway, let's see. Uh, Maura Healy's assault weapons ban being challenged in court. Yes, it is, Jeremy. That is the Nagger case, National Association of Gun Rights. Um, I don't know where it stands. I've tried to get uh, Andrew Kuchar on to talk about it and I'm, maybe I'll try him again next week but um, yeah I it's a it's a really 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 uh, important case so hopefully it'll happen soon uh, Bob is saying uh, have I had the opportunity to shoot or handle the Ohio ordinance H car if so what are my thoughts I've handled them I have not shot them and I think they're super cool. They are the modern version of the Browning BAR, the Browning Assault uh, Automatic Rifle. I, I, I just used that term, assault. Uh, but it's the Browning Automatic Rifle, the BAR. Uh, and it's the semi version, but the H car is the modern version of it. It's got like a AR stock and a, a pistol grip and a, a Picatinny rail on it. And uh, it's super, super cool, but they're big money. Uh, but I've heard they run flawlessly. They're very good quality. They're robust and heavy guns. Uh, they're not cheap. They are multiple thousands of dollars. I think they're north of five or six grand. I think they're probably closer to seven or eight grand, but they are pretty cool guns, no doubt about it. Um, and I would love to get my hands on one one of these days. And that's a gun I could sell right now until... H4139 goes into effect, but um, the bottom line is I still have a decision to make. I said I was not going to comply with this bill, and if it gets signed into law, um, they still haven't fixed. They said they have, but they haven't fixed the common carrier language in it, so I don't even think they're going to deliver ammo or guns to this state if this bill 4139 passes, so... Billy's wondering if I can explain more about what strict scrutiny means. So um, the way that laws have been interpreted in our country through the court systems, uh, historically, especially around guns, have been a couple of different ways. One is uh, strict scrutiny, which means that the, the courts are must 
interpret the law via the lens of the text of the Constitution. And again, all enumerated con constitutional rights should be held to strict scrutiny. Sometimes there's some ambiguity and they allow for a second step approach or a two-step approach, which is intermediate scrutiny. It doesn't need to meet the, um, the original intent of the text. There's some latitude there for them to say, okay, in the interest of public safety, the legislature has passed rules that will govern how this is implemented into our community. That's the two-step approach. That's what interest balancing means. Uh, or tiers of scrutiny, or um, you know, a two-step approach. So uh, they would say, "Oh, the legislature passed. This is what they really want to happen. That's what the people who sent them to Congress sent them there to do, which is to pass laws governing and uh, regulating certain industry or certain things." But whenever a right is concerned, they have to hold to a much higher standard a legal threshold or a legal, the argument becomes the burden of proof of government to prove that they have the right to impede or pass said law or said regulation. Um, so they have to prove that any law is consistent with the text, the history, and the tradition at the time of our constitution's ratification, 1791, or the Bill of Rights. So um, this intermediate scrutiny got pawned off from the, the legislature to regulatory bodies in the 80s under a, a case that's been called uh, I think it was the Chevron versus EPA or Chevron versus United States or something. I can't remember who the plaintiff was in this case, but Chevron was the defendant, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or maybe they were the uh, plaintiff and the, the government was the defendant. They might have initiated the lawsuit saying, you know, they're trying to tell me uh, that I have to do this and the regulation says this or the law says this. But they're coming at me from all angles. And, you know, so the Supreme Court made this historic ruling called um, it has it has been come to known be known as the Chevron deference. And that means whenever there's ambiguity in the law, then the enforcement agency has a wide latitude of discretionary enforcement, um, especially as technology changes and as you know, the, the law wasn't clearly written from the beginning, so they can have some leeway one way or the other, which kind of makes sense for anything except our constitutionally protected rights. So if it's, you know, the, the Congress passes some Clean Water Act, like saying you can't dump oil in the water or something like that, and the EPA sees a guy pumping water into the uh, oil into the water and, uh, they come and say, hey, you can't do that. This is the clean violation of the Clean Water Act. And they say, hey, we're not dumping it. We're pumping it. Right. So they're they're <laughs> they're saying uh, we're, you know, under the letter of the law, we're not doing what the, 
the letter of the law says we're not dumping it. It's not coming out of a container ship and just dumping and spilling into the ocean. We're pumping it under a controlled rate and blah, blah, blah. And our flow rate and is this and that and the other thing. I'm just making up a dumb example, but that's really where it came from is now the EPA would be able to say, no, you're, you're still violating the intent of the law as written by Congress and you're um, uh, therefore in violation. So we're going to, you know, hold you accountable. Well, they, they ruled on that. And then in 2023, now a president can take power like Joe Biden and say to his ATF, I want you to find a way to ban frames and receivers and pistol braces. And the president before him, Donald Trump did it with bump stocks. Basically they went through a regulatory rule change process. They had public comment period. They heard from both sides, the arguments. And then they said, okay, uh, we're going to go ahead and change the rule. And now we're going to enforce this. And this has massive felonious implications to the average person. So whenever they change these rules, if you do nothing, you can be a felon overnight just by doing nothing. And uh, that's where Clarence Thomas stepped in and said, this is over. We're done with this intermediate scrutiny. We are going to uh, hold you accountable. You're going to have to interpret the law as it as it's written for a something as important as the Second Amendment. Because they've been getting away with murder for 100 years almost around gun control law uh, because of this two-step process or the intermediate scrutiny. And now the Supreme Court has put it to bed once and for all, which had been done under Heller, uh, but they didn't give instructions to the lower courts or the inferior courts, as Mark Smith likes to call them. And I love that term uh, because that's what they are. Uh, so as a result of that, after Heller, in a post-Heller world, we had hundreds of legal challenges of gun control laws that very few victories. I think there's been more victories in a post-Bruin world than in a post-Heller world pre-Bruin. So already we've had more victories, uh, pro-Second Amendment victories, in a uh, after Bruin than we have in the entire time from Heller because they didn't give the paint by number and the special set of instructions to inferior courts how they must rule on Second Amendment cases. That's the big difference. But it was good law that just didn't get good instructions to the lower courts. So any thoughts on the current ATF comment period? Looks like 223,000 comments received and they are all from antis in favor of the new rule that's scary but uh i you know there wasn't much of a call to action on this second comment period like the first two what there was um but yeah i mean i'm more holding out hope that chevron deference goes away and mark smith talked about it when we had him on a couple weeks ago about this uh EPA, or maybe it's not EPA, it's the like Marine Fisheries and Wildlife that is boarding this fishing ship, the mackerel fisherman, and it's a Massachusetts case. And they said under Chevron deference, they said, oh, by the way, you have to take one of our inspectors so we can observe the catch, make sure you're doing it ethically, make sure you're doing it legally, 
Uh, you got to pay for the observer. You got to feed them. You got to take up a spot on the boat because these fishing vessels can only take a certain amount of people on board uh, for life safety reasons. And so now that's one less fisherman because of a regulator. And finally, the industry said, this is ridiculous. You're the one enforcing this and changing it and making it so I have to pay for this. This is absolutely ridiculous. And so they uh, fought it and uh, and it's going to the Supreme Court. So that's awesome. Uh, let's see how it goes. Uh, frame transfers are the direct result of the unconstitutional approved roster. Get rid of the unconstitutional roster. And no one would ever bother with frame transfers ever again. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, unless you wanted to build your own. Like there's a lot of aftermarket frame companies now that you know kind of mix and match parts like uh if you want this slide this barrel this frame you know so there's still reasons to do frames but anyway i don't have a secret code word aaron i'm gonna get that back up i promise uh the gun of the week is the springfield m1a tanker and uh use code gow at checkout if you want a very special saving off of that gun um and if it's not up yet, that's my fault because I didn't tell Rob, my IT guy, um, about it. So it will be up as soon as the show is over. So um, they restricted access to fentanyl by gangs, and that worked out. Absolutely. Uh, good point. Uh, gee, it's, it's like, uh, you know, that's the obvious that nobody really talks about is uh, ban murder, right? They ban murder. Murder's been a against the law since Cain and Abel in the Garden of Eden, but yet there's been plenty of murders in this world ever since. So uh, I hope not either, Davey. Um, uh, so far, so good. I'm still getting ammo, but it is the 556 is going out the door quicker than you can shake a stick. And uh, within a couple of days, price went up 150 and they still sold out. It's depressing. I haven't raised my prices like that, KP. Um, but what's starting to go out the door is the higher end ammo. We got some uh, SIG 223 77 grain open tip match. Haven't raised the price on those. And uh, it's like 23 bucks a box, which the MSRP on it is 29 or 32 bucks a box. So we're way under MSRP on that. Um, and it's very, very good. It's match grade ammo. And now I'm starting to sell that by the case, you know, whereas it used to be two or three boxes at a time. But I've sold a few cases today as a result. So people know the it's on, you know, and uh, I'm not going to raise the price until my price goes up. But which it has in some cases, uh, but it hasn't gone up 150 a case. So let's see. Uh, they play with the title of bills to get sympathy, gun modernization, children's safety. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Uh, we'll deal with this, I promise, Davey. Uh, in fact, I'm going to get a picture of that. He's saying ammo isn't on the mobile website. And... Uh, He's got an iPhone 11 in Google Chrome. All right. I hear you loud and clear. 
I focus on buying the sporting rifles I wanted instead of ammo because I knew that Healy would update the ban. Hopefully this ammo shortage is in like 2020. Again, there's the three things that stimulate, in my opinion, the trifecta or, you know, we got wars in two on two fronts now, Israel and Ukraine. We have ammo being sold to foreign companies, ammo plant blowing up and Lake City may or may not be uh, banning the sale to civilians. And we have civil unrest and migrant crisis coming to our borders. And uh, so those three things, oh, not to mention the fourth leg of the chair is the um, soft on crime approach. You, you're just seeing a, an emboldened uh, criminal element in this country, which is downright scary. Uh, some gun clubs don't allow binaries. Uh, they say that many gun owners think they are evil. Yeah. Uh, the fuddery is strong with some, and I get it, you know, technically in the rules, you can't shoot more than one round per second in my range. I've told all my, uh, all my range officers, this is a guide so that you can tell someone who's shooting recklessly to stop and knock it off. It's not so that you can be like, you're shooting too fast, slow down, if they're hitting the paper. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, we are a realistic training environment. And I hate that that stupid rule snuck its way in, but the fuddery is strong, and that's even with my own guys sometimes. So uh, I had this great old lady, older lady that I was having a meeting with about some town issues today, and she's a member at the range. And she goes, the question I got wrong is, can you shoot more than one round per second? And I told them that Toby said I could. And uh, they said, don't listen to Toby, but <laughs> that's just the way it is, man. Everyone loves rules and they love to enforce them, even amongst the gun owning community. It's the way it is. Uh, you go to any range in America and they there's going to be rules that have nothing to do with safety, but yet they're going to enforce them like it's life or death situation. Um, I've been kicked out of clubs for less. Let's put it that way. Um, it's hard to have a surplus of ammo in the market when there's two wars going on. Yes. Uh, shopping for the most popular calibers yep for military weapons of war um let's see ammo diversity that's what it's all about get 556 308 65 grendel 300 blackout 300 blackout best deal going right now because i have a ton of it and i haven't had to order it and so, yeah, it's about a buck around, but that 77 grain 556 is like a dollar something around. Uh, it's, you know, 23.99 a, a box. It's almost a buck 25 around. And so I'd rather shoot 300 blackout for less personally. So just, just throwing that out there. And you've been enjoying the Galil Ace that you bought at our shop. I've added everything to it that I wanted to pick up some magazines when I was down there last week. Great. Uh, awesome rifle. It is heavy, but it's solid and shoots well. Awesome. Well, that's good stuff, KP. Um, 
I just ordered two more of those. I have a 308 version coming in and a 545 by 39 because I have a good amount of ammo on the 545 by 39. So I I wondered why the ammo wasn't selling and it occurred to me that I don't have anything that shoots it. So maybe we'll do a package deal. So that's uh, that's the way that's going to go. But um, with the current ATF receiver rule, is it still legal to build out an 80% lower? Yes, I think so. <laughs> I believe it is. It's just, um, if I think the status quo has been maintained, but then it was a little bit of back and forth on that. So honestly, I, I don't take my word for it. I would have to look that up. Um, but because I, I remember that there was a stay put on the frame and receiver rule. And then that stay was just lifted by the Supreme Court, if I don't, if I remember correctly, to enforce the status quo of the frame and receiver rule. I don't know. One of those things, man, I can't keep track of it. It vacillates. It's the yo-yo. So um, don't take my word on that. Let me get back to you on that. That's a great question, Jeremy. And uh, maybe somebody here in the chat could jump on that. But um, I only broadcast to one, two, three, four, five different platforms today. Normally I do eight, but Facebook's all screwed up and my Rumble feed is all screwed up. So I'm going to have to manually feed this over to Rumble. So uh, hopefully, um, I don't think the the Rumble feed ended up working, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, it's still saying upcoming. So I'll kill that feed and, and get it over live. Uh, I screwed something up. That's the way it goes. Um, all right, guys, that's a rapid fire. I've talked till my throat is dry and uh great great show great questions um glad i got to spend some time with you on that because normally we only take about 15 minutes of uh questions and davies yeah that's what i thought i thought they were pushing eight grand i'm not i'm not i was just going from memory on that if you want to spend eight or nine or ten grand i got a saw 249 saw the semi-auto uh, FN 249 saw in stock right now um, for $99.99 plus shipping and handling. So uh, we do build offer the build class and we will get one of those up on the up on the website soon. I just ordered a bunch of build kits. I love the new DSI. Sorry, Aaron, no, no code word this week. Uh, just there is GOW for the M1A tanker if you want to take advantage of that. But I promise I'll get the secret squirrel code word back up by next week. Um, it's just been, uh, you know, me running flat out, uh, running a campaign and running back and forth to the state house and everything else. So uh, I apologize for where I've dropped the ball here or there, but uh, we will get back on the straight and narrow sooner rather than later. And I promise. So, all right, guys, God bless you. I, I love you all. And thank you so much for your time today. And uh, let me know in the comments if you have any questions and share and like and subscribe, if you will. Uh, I, I appreciate it. And um, we will be in touch soon, early and often. There's always something to talk about, right? All right, take it easy. Uh, God bless. We'll see you soon.